Assalamu alaikum, this is Abdurrahman Murphy, and you're listening to the newest Heartwork series, Finding Meaning in Trial. In this series, we'll be exploring an upcoming publication that I'm working on, translating and commenting on the beautiful short text of Al-Izz bin Abdussalam called The Benefits of Trials. In this series, we'll be exploring some of the meanings and some of the benefits of trials in our lives as given to us by Al-Izz bin Abdussalam. He gives us some of the good things that we seek in life that can only come from the bad moments that we experience in life. I look forward to joining you on this series, inshallah, and having you with us. And as always, if you benefit from our work, please consider donating and becoming a sustainer at rootsdfw.org slash sustain. Assalamu alaikum. Bismillahi walhamdulillah. Wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. How is everybody? Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Um, I, I do want to say, of course, whenever, uh, whenever people ask, like, how are you? It's obviously like a, a pleasantry. It's formal. Um, and I don't think anybody for a second has forgotten uh, the atrocities happening in Gaza when you answer this question. And so we ask, how are you? Almost to talk about, like, how are you? And if you say something like, alhamdulillah, it's not an indication that you don't care. Right? In fact, um, it's an indication that despite everything that is hurting you, you praise Allah. Right? All things considered, alhamdulillah ala kulli hal. That we thank Allah Ta'ala for every state. So it's good to see everybody here. And we know that community is one of the means of healing. There's a reason why Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala told us to hold on to the rope of Allah together. To be united, to be together. Because when people are united, it helps spread the burden of pain, right? When you see each other. Today I was talking to somebody. I have the wildest story, subhanAllah. Um, my son Musa was in the soccer league. And he, um, his league just finished. And by the end of the league, he ended up making uh, a friend. And um, this friend, it's kind of embarrassing for me to say, but Musa goes to an Islamic school. So he's surrounded only by Muslims. And so he makes this friend on the soccer league, and um, the friend's name is not a very like visibly Muslim name. In fact, I would, I'm not a betting man, it's haram, but I would bet that this child, based on the name alone, right, was not Muslim. And um, so anyways, this, this, this little boy, you know, he connects with Musa, they play the same position in soccer, et cetera, et cetera, and they... Uh, connect and they want to have a play date they want to hang out so my wife and his mom connect so right before this literally right now I was there at the park with them at like 4 p.m. and then I had to come here by 5:30 for Maghrib and so I was there and I'm talking to him and I'm talking to his mom and I'm talking Musa and we're all hanging out there at the park and um, her ethnicity is uh, she's Indian right so we're talking and then Musa has this really, really amazing and also cringe habit of asking everyone if they're Muslim. <laughs> so he asks everybody. He goes, are you Muslim? And then he goes, or are you Christian? Because he can't pronounce Christian. He says Christian. <sighs> Another side story with that point is that obviously when we talk about holidays, we don't celebrate Christmas. And we say, you know, that's the holiday that the Christians celebrate. So we have Eid. We have two of them. Eid is so amazing, right? Da, da, da. So we're like, you know, identity formation. So Musa, and I don't mean to offend anybody here, but Musa struggles knowing that some Muslims put up trees. Because he walks in and he goes, are they Christian or Muslim? 
because he's trying to figure it out. And it doesn't help, right, that, that you know, anyways. So uh, the girl's name was Medium. So it's like Mary, she had a Christmas tree. Anyway, okay, so he, he, he goes up to this lady that I am fully convinced that she's a Christian because of her son's name, okay? And I'm not going to say it because it's private. And he goes up to her and he goes, hey, to the mom. He goes, your son just told me that you're Muslim. And I'm like, I lower my head in shame. I like put my hand, I'm like, I'm so sorry. And she goes, no, we are. And for the longest time, for like three months, I was convinced that this family was not Muslim. And she's like, no, we are. So of course, the next conversation we have is we talk about Palestine. And we start talking about how, how difficult the situation has been for everybody and, and witnessing it and seeing it and how you just can't function and you go to work and you're operating at 50%, 20%, whatever. And she said, after I left and my wife left and we all went our separate ways, she texted my wife and she goes, I'm like in tears because she goes, this has been the feeling of being seen that I've been looking for. I'm surrounded by people that don't know what's going on in my world, right? As a Muslim, as a person who cares about what's happening to the people in Gaza, like I am, I am, I feel strangled socially. And so she goes, just the ability to be able to meet with people and say salam and to sit with them and to know what we're talking about and to know why we're feeling so heavy. She said that meant the world to me. And she goes, I became very emotional. So all that is to say that one of the worst things a person can do when they're feeling down is to isolate themselves. There's no nobility. There's no martyrdom in removing yourself from the community. You have to turn into it. You have to turn into the community in order to find the support that you need. Tonight, inshallah, we're going to be going over the second point of Izzuddin bin Abdul Salam, his book called Fawaidul Balwa Wal Mahan, his book which is called The Benefits of Trials and Tribulation. It is a remarkable small book. And like I said, I'm, I'm working on the translation. I actually have my notes here. I'm teaching from my notes. And he highlights some of the reasons why these bad things happen, right? One of the titles I was thinking about for the book was like, why bad things happen to good people, which is a huge question that everybody struggles with. When you see people that are ostensibly, visibly very nice, they're good. Like, why would something bad happen to them? Especially if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is who he says he is. We know that he's merciful. We know that he's all-powerful. We know that he's all-wise and all kind. Why would Allah ta'ala put somebody in a situation where they experience something that they interpret as being bitter? And so he comes up with a list of 17 things, 17 good things that you can only get from bad moments. So if you want to achieve these 17 traits, you're going to have to be willing to go through it. That's just his rule. And so we started with the introduction. Now the introduction, subhanAllah, he mentions some of the hadith that we, that we pulled. I didn't mention all of them, so I want to share a couple now. One of the hadith is uh, from the Prophet, it's narrated by Anas. He says that the Prophet said that the magnitude of the reward a person gets in their life, you know, at the end of your life, you're going to have the book on your right shoulder that all of your deeds were written. And everything that you've done, every statement, every action, every intention you've had will be weighed on the scale. And I want you to imagine what this is going to look like. In the hadith, it says that there will be mountains, like deeds that are built up and they look like mountains. And they are weighed on the scale in order to show the quality of deeds that a person has. So 
Imam Al-Ibn Abd Salam, he says that the magnitude of the reward that a person gets is directly tied into what? The magnitude of their affliction. He says, He says the reward that you will get in, in the Akhirah is directly tied to the amount of affliction that you dealt with in this life, that you bore with patiently. And then he continues, and he says, That when Allah Ta'ala loves a people, He tests them. And this is something that again, if you think about it rationally, devoid of spirituality, you're going to be confused. Right? Rationally, you're like, how does that make sense? Nobody tests someone that they love. If I love somebody, I want to make their life easier, right? Yes or no? But subhanAllah, this is where a little bit of wisdom comes in. When you're younger especially, it's very difficult to understand how is it possible that a test could be something that is a sign of love. But then you start to have moments where you have to make difficult decisions. You have to choose what you know is right over what you know is wrong. Why? Because what is right, even though it's more difficult, is the right choice. And that in, an, in its own way is a test. When my daughter comes to me at night and says, I want Oreos, I want more than anything to give her the whole box. And I want to share it with her, actually. I want more than anything. Why? Because when I give her those Oreos, I'm going to be the recipient of such sweet words and hugs and kisses. And my daughter plays hard to get. So I can Oreo bribe her into cuddling with Baba, right? No, no, no. She's not that bad anymore. She's gotten a lot better. But the point being is, in that moment when she's looking up at me with her beady little eyes and her cute pigtails now, her hair's long, and she says, I want Oreos, Baba, my heart wants to give it to her because I want to be the recipient. I just want there to be nothing but a cycle of love. Here's my love, and then you give me love back. And then we're good. But what happens is giving her that at that moment, at that time, and that amount that she wants, is that what's best for her? No. And I know that. And she might actually even know that, by the way. She's aware. She's not like super young where she doesn't get it. She gets it. And so if I say no to her, what happens? The lip starts quivering. The tears start rolling. My heart starts breaking. She'll say something that's really, really hurtful to me. I wish that so-and-so uncle was my baba. He gives his kids candy, right? Like the worst. You talk about daggers, right? Daggers. Just arrows shot point blank range into my chest right? And then, I, this is, you're so mean, you never get, and then the worst, right? You give Musa Oreos. It's just piled on. And you know what? It's causing me a lot of pain. I, you know, a parent would lie to you, man. If a parent told you that the words that their children, doesn't matter how young, the words that they say, I see it, man. When my kids tell my wife that we like Baba better, it kills me, or her, sorry. And it eventually kills me. And when my kids do that to me, when my wife is like gives them something and I'm like the strict, and they're like, we like mama better, it kills me. I got to put on a brave face, but I'm like, ow, that hurts, you know? And they're on their iPads and suddenly the Wi-Fi goes out. <laughs> Baba, the Wi-Fi's broken. I was like, oh, looks like you ran out of love and signal, you know? Like, so the point being is that there's always a separation between what is right and what you want to do. And what you know is what's good for you what you know is ultimately what's going to benefit you and what you want to indulge in your nafs. Those Oreos are the, 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 the desire of the nafs. The nafs wants that so badly. And so when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he tests us, he's saying no to us. 
or he's putting something difficult in our path. Another example, Musa's playing soccer. Couple first games, I notice he's getting outrun. So we go to our backyard and we're running sprints back and forth, back and forth. This kid is like, Baba, this is the worst. We're running sprints. Finally, at the end of the sprints, he's like, why are you doing this to me? And I'm like, because that kid is beating you and Baba did not raise a loose. No, no, no. <laughs> I always tell Moose at the end of the games, I'm like, was that fun? He goes, yeah. I go, you know what the most fun is? He goes, well, I go, winning. That's the most fun. No, but I told him this. I said, I'm going to make you sprint and I'm going to make you run down and I'm going to make you shoot into the net, take a shot into the net at the end of a sprint so that you know what? When the game is on the line and you have to run, you don't run out of speed and you don't falter and fall down and let that kid take the ball. And the whole time, he's complaining, Baba, please, Baba, please, I'm only six, this is child abuse. I'm like, how'd you learn that? <laughs> and wallahi, I'm not making this up. This last game on Sunday, tie game 5-5, there's one minute left. Who runs the sprint, takes the ball and scores? He does. And he comes to me, and I tell him, I said, this is why we practiced. The entire time, three months, Baba's the tyrant. Baba's so mean. I don't want to practice with Baba. Marine's like, go practice. No, Baba doesn't. Then he wins. Scores the game's uh, winning goal in his game on, su on, on, on a, a Sunday. What does he tell his friends? Yeah, I work really hard. No, Baba made you work really hard. And subhanAllah, the, the, the metaphor is the exact same. Allah Ta'ala tests us and he pushes us and he gifts, he gifts us the ability to accomplish things. And then somehow, way, we take credit. Right? So all of this is all by design, man. Allah Ta'ala is... He tests. And some of these tests, wallahi, look, I'm not here to make light of it. I'm not here to say that a terminal diagnosis is something that we can joke about or that I'm not, gonna, I'm not here to say that bombing a city for 30 straight days is something lighthearted. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is if we don't allow the iman in our hearts to be able to trust that there is something there that we simply cannot understand, if we don't have that, we're going to live a life of devastation. It's the only thing that is keeping us connected. So the first line that he mentions in the hadith, sorry, he says, the magnitude of your reward is with your test. When God wants to show his love for a people, he tests them. And he says, those who accept it, those who accept it, فَمَنْ فَلَهُ Whoever takes the test with a smile, then guess what they've earned? They've earned Allah Ta'ala's pleasure. Whoever takes it in a way with a smile, then they earned Allah Ta'ala's pleasure. And whoever takes it with a displeased state, then Allah will be displeased with them. May Allah Ta'ala make us people who take trials with pleasure and we are content with them. Ameen Ya Rabbil Alameen. So some of the scholars, they say from this, that one of the wisdoms of trials and one of the wisdoms in life that we can understand to make it easier for us is that neither trials nor ease are forever. Easy moments come and easy moments go. Trial comes and trial goes. And it's one of those things that we, we integrate it into our psyche so that we understand and we prepare ourselves. Allah Ta'ala tells us this in the Quran, that when bad times hit us, we become very, very nervous and anxious. When good times hit us, we also become nervous and anxious. So Allah Ta'ala, He vacillates, He flips between the two of them. So we understand that this life is not built to be in one way at all point at all time. So let's continue, inshaAllah. The first section that we covered was 
that a person, one of the gifts, the first gift that is given as a result of trial is ma'rifatu izrububiyati wa qahriha. That a person understands ma'rifah. They know with a capital K, K-N-O-W. They, they understand it deeply. The, the, the power and the majesty and the might of their Lord. Now the word Rabb is a really important word. Because Rabb doesn't just mean God. It doesn't mean Allah. It doesn't mean... Rabb means the one who is the caretaker and the sustainer and the authority over whoever is the marbub, whoever is the one who is lorded over. And Allah in Surah Al-Fatiha, we say this when we pray, right? At least we should be saying this 17 times a day. That Allah Ta'ala is what? Rabbil Alameen. He is the Lord not only of you and me, but everybody, everything. Every single thing that we can conceive of depends on Allah for, their, for its sustenance. And Allah Ta'ala knows every single person's needs intimately, very deeply. So much so that when, 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 uh, uh, um, when Prophet Zakariyah was making dua to Allah, it was described as a dua that was being whispered, but Allah heard it. He called out to his Lord with this like meek, humble cry. But Allah heard it and Allah knew exactly what it was. And I was, I was sharing this with somebody last week that there's a point where you make dua for something so much, whether it be this current situation or whether it be something in your life, and you pray to Allah so much and so frequently that you actually start to notice that the words are getting in the way. Anyone else run into that? Like you're running out of words to say. You just open your hand and you keep repeating the same phrase over and over and over, right? This is why it's a mercy that Allah has told us what? That he knows what is in your chest. So sometimes you'll just sit there and you'll open your hands and your dua will actually just be flowing from you. You won't even have to say any words. This is what we are taught. Allah Ta'ala knows. He knows what's in your chest. Sometimes your words will cause you to stumble. Because you're going to try to find the right word. And then you're going to be like, ah, and you correct yourself. You never made dua and you're like, maybe. No, not maybe, definitely. <laughs> you know, you almost feel like, man, I'm, I'm ruining this because my words are not matching what my heart is yearning for. And so you sit there and Zechariah is sitting there and he's calling out to his Lord. And he's begging him. But he's begging him in a very quiet and discreet way. Why? Because he came to know that Allah Ta'ala is his Lord. And these trials, subhanAllah, these trials come to us in life, whether they be macro, micro, or anything in between, so that we can be reminded. Because what Allah Ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhal insanu, ma gharraka bi rabbikal kareem. Amazing question. He says, Oh human beings, what has, right, gharraka from gurur, what has. Uh, the, the English translation is a word that needs more English translation. Beguiled. What has deceived you? What glitter has caught your eye? What shiny thing has captured your focus? Ma gharraka bi rabbikal kareem. Away from your Lord the most generous. Everything that you devote yourself to, that you trust in, that you work hard for, that you strive for, will never meet the generosity of Allah. And we give so much for it, right? How many times do we skip prayers for something because we think it's ultimately what's good for us? How many times do we delay our salah? How many times do we put off doing what's right? How many times do we indulge in something we know is haram? 
because we think that ultimately it's okay for me. And we try to find the loopholes and all of this stuff, right? These are moments in which Allah Ta'ala will remind us gently that you know what? You forgot who your Lord was this whole time. And by the way, in the Quran, Allah does tell us that it is quite possible for people to mistake their Lord as something else. Money can become somebody's Lord. Status, power, even their own desires. A person can literally focus on their own desires so much that instead of asking, what does Allah want from me? They ask, what do I want from me? And that becomes their guiding principle. That becomes their light. And the answer to that question, the path at the end of that question that leads you to that destination is always going to be further away from Allah. The goal in life, my brothers and sisters, our goal in life is that when we ask that question, what do I want from me? It lines up exactly with what does Allah want from me? That's called tawfiq. That when I want what Allah wants, I want to pray. I want to donate. I want to give this up. I want to do the right thing. And Allah wants it for me too. And I want it for me too. I am aligned. That's why we say, oh Allah, make beloved to me what is beloved to you. Make what you love what I love. And make what you hate what I hate. And we all are getting a, a glimpse of this now. If you've seen somebody that is purposely distorting, is purposely misunderstanding the plight right now of what we're witnessing, our brothers and sisters, what you're seeing is a complete and total a deviance from what Allah loves and what a person loves. Right? And we need to check ourselves and make sure that we're not falling victim to that ourselves. So we talked about last time, Bishr al-Harith, what he said, when a person gets ma'rifah, they get four things. Who remembers those four things? One, two, three, four. We posted the video, we posted the graphics. Who remembers the four things? Yeah. Did you have one? No? Okay. Well, you know what? I like the confidence. Points for Gryffindor. Okay? All right. So, number one, obeying Allah. It's okay. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Obeying Allah becomes sweet. When you start to know who your Lord is, now obedience becomes sweet. Now you're like, I don't have to pray. I get to pray. The Prophet Sallallahu used to say to Bilal, The dunya is so annoying. Work is so annoying. I can't stand this. Let me ask you a question. In the last four weeks of this tragedy that we're seeing unfold, may Allah Ta'ala aid them and allow us to be aiding of them. Our brothers and sisters everywhere. By the way, Palestine is a huge point right now. It's the third holiest city, Al-Quds. It is the original Qibla. But we have to also understand that there are other places too right now. SubhanAllah, our du'as need to be going to everybody. Palestine, of course, we all, our hearts are breaking. But the same injustice is being mass manufactured and spread everywhere now. And if Israel can get away with it, other countries are like, why not? Why don't we try too? Right? So we're seeing it in Sudan, in the Congo. We're seeing it with the Uyghurs in China. Right? This is, by the way, the spread of shaitan is one step at a time. Here, there, here, there. So we make dua for our brothers and sisters in Gaza and everywhere. We include it. Allah is not, Allah cannot not give to everybody. Of course he can. So when you are engaged in these last four weeks of this acute onslaught of the people of Palestine. How many of you at work, when it came time to pray dhuhr, you don't have to raise your hand, you almost felt like happy? Because now I get to like disconnect from like doing analysis of these sales reports that I don't even care about. 
and I, I don't have to go to that meeting. I get to tap out early, right? I get to end, leave meeting early. I get to do this or that. Or Juma on Friday. How many of you like are happy you get to leave work to go to Juma? It's a good sign. It's not that I have to pray. Now it's I get to pray. The obedience to Allah becomes something sweet. Giving charity. A lot of you guys work hard for your money. Right? Allah Ta'ala says, You love wealth. You love it. Right? Yes or no? But isn't giving charity, especially right now, isn't it one of the sweetest feelings that you've ever experienced? When you know that your money, subhanAllah, and I work with an organization, they have an office in Gaza on the ground, and they're sending pictures of kids getting water, food, blankets, toys. They set up some, I'll show you some pictures. They set up some of the psychosocial response for these kids that have gone through trauma that's unspeakable. And so they set up these parties for these kids. Whose birthday was last year? Come. You know, it's a trick question, right? Because they need to give them some happiness, man. Something to be happy about. Whose birthday was last year? All the kids are like, me, me. And they call them and they have some sweets and they, and they bring in some like stuffed animals. And they give gifts to everybody just to distract them from the, the devils that are oppressing them. Giving charity, wallahi, to that was sweeter than payday. You get paid and you're like, I can't wait to give to somebody. So when you understand why, because Allah will reward you and you know that, you know he's watching. So your obedience becomes sweet. Number two, when you're being tested and you know Allah, you start to see this, the secret provision showing up out of nowhere. So you start to feel this feeling of happiness when Allah even gives you the smallest thing. I was here the other night and we were having, uh, after the qiyam, there was some food left over from another event and people brought down trays of it and it was like room temperature slash cold. It was soggy. At one point, the chicken was crispy and now it became soggy. It was like chicken oatmeal. And there was cold rice, noodles, soggy salad. And the team that was here, they cleaned up the whole place after the qiyam that we had and they started eating. Wallahi, the, 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 the noises of eating the food and the conversation and the laughter and the it, was, you could, it could have been like Roots was a Michelin star restaurant. You know why? Not because the food was great, but because the entire weight of what's happening made the food great. How dare I complain? How dare I complain that this water is this temperature or this is that or this is... How dare I even utter a complaint right now about anything when I know that I have a full plate of food in front of me that I didn't even have to pay for, ask for, it was given to me because somebody else ordered too much, right? Hashtag Muslim problems, okay? So when you're being tested and you recognize Allah in that test, now what happens? If you don't recognize Allah and you're being tested, you start to forget, you don't see all of these things. You start to think everyone's just annoying, they're in your way, they're a problem. No, no, no. You start to see the secret provisions that Allah will give you. Even the most lukewarm of food will taste delicious because you realize that it's something that Allah Ta'ala gifted to you. The third thing is that he says, oh, sorry, that was actually the third one. I apologize. The second one he says is that if you don't realize Allah is your Lord, every state that you ex experience, every trial, every difficulty will feel so heavy on you. You'll feel alone. Can't carry this by myself. But when you realize that Allah is with you, you're able to handle every state with such ease. Not that you don't cry, not that you don't feel hurt, no, but you realize that you have Allah with you. Like the Prophet said to his friend Abu Bakr in the cave, 
إذ يقول لصاحبه لا تحزن إن الله معنا Allah is with us. Don't be afraid. Then Allah Ta'ala says what? فَأَنزَلَ السَّكِينَةَهُ عَلَيْهِ Allah Ta'ala sent his sakina upon them, upon him, Abu Bakr. And in that moment, subhanAllah, Abu Bakr said, I felt so relaxed, so at ease. Because why? Because I was with Allah. And that presence of Allah took away my grief, my sadness, and my worry. And the fourth thing he says is that whoever is gifted a test and they know their Lord, they will feel content. They'll see all of this in their life and they'll say, you know what? Alhamdulillah. And that is the highest level of humanity they will ever achieve. Okay? Now, let's go to the second point because I just spent basically half of this session going over the first one. The second one he says, Ma'rifatu dhillatil ubudiyya wa kasriha. So it's kind of like 1A, 1B. 1A is you understand Allah's greatness. You understand his position, his authority, his lordship. You understand his power, his strength. Right? You see that Allah truly is in charge. And in Arabic, they had this, this phrase, that you understand things by their opposites. So while you understand who is the most powerful, the ultimate, the one in control, what do you also then start to understand? Human beings are what? Huh? Not it. Yeah, exactly. Human beings are not it. Right? I mean, am I right or am I wrong? Like, you go through a trial... And you're expecting, like, how many friends you have? How many really good friends you have? You have? If you think everyone thinks they have a lot of really good friends, and then you go through a trial, and all of a sudden that list gets really small. Who are the ones that are going to be there with you? You got a flight coming in. It keeps getting delayed. 9 p.m., 10 p.m., 11, midnight. Because you're flying. I'm not going to say the airline. All right? Just in case they want to sponsor me. Okay? I don't want to burn any bridges before we build them. So... Gets you in delayed. That friend, like the list of people that were like, I'll come get you. I'll pick you up. Then all of a sudden they start dropping off like flies. One brother's like, ah, I got to, yeah, I got to do something. I got to do this. I got, I got my, you know, class, this and that. And then you have that. How many friends at the end are like, hey, you know what? You just let me know when you're landing. I'll be there. How many of those people do you have in your life? That list gets really small. And by the way, it's not an indictment against people. Everyone has their limit. Everyone has their responsibilities. But... This is an indictment against how you and I consistently disappoint ourselves by putting our entire investment into people. Why is everyone so upset right now? Why is everyone so upset? Because Joe Biden is not, is not uh, instilling a ceasefire? Okay, sure, we should be upset. You're upset because your senators and congresspeople aren't hearing you? You're upset because your favorite celebrity posted pray for Israel you're upset because the athletes don't care you're upset because you know what I'm upset with I'm upset for me for giving them a piece of my heart that's what I'm upset with my expectations my were too high of these people I gave what only should have been for Allah to them and now I'm tasting the bitterness of it and you feel it right you understand that Every person is a servant of Allah. And nobody should ever be given the status that only is deserved by Allah in your life. You have that principle, you never live disappointed. You, all, you don't have to walk around like a jerk, right? You want to be friends? No. I only want Allah. You're lame. 
It's not like that. But you don't want to give more than what you should expect from this individual. So he says, he says, and here, وَإِلَيْهِ الْإِشَارَةُ بِقَوْلِهِ تَعَالَى And Allah Ta'ala, He makes this reference in the Qur'an. We talked about this last week. الَّذِينَ إِذَا أَصَابَتْهُمْ مُصِيبَتُونَ قَالُوا إِنَّ لِلَّهِ وَإِنَّ إِلَيْهِ رَاجِعُونَ When a person is afflicted with a trial, who do they call out to? Allah. They call out to Allah. First and foremost, as soon as the trial happens. So beautiful. Muslims are taught that as soon as you are afflicted, you call to Allah. You can go and seek help from other people after that, but don't skip Allah in that step because who even put those people in your life in the first place? Who will facilitate that person? Who will give them the ability to help you? Allah will. So really, what we should be thinking when we're seeking help is, Oh Allah, allow this person to help me. Oh Allah, open this person's heart. When the Prophet made dua in Mecca, in one of the hardest periods of his life, persecution, harassment, boycott, torture, you name it. You know what he said? You know, he's the Prophet He has status. He has some backing. He can go up and try to negotiate. He can try to convert Omar. He can try to convert uh, uh, Abu Jahl. He can try to convert these people on his own. You know what he did? He said, Allahumma. Allahumma izl Islam bi ahad al umarain. Oh Allah, give izzah, like honor and magnanimity, give it to Islam in the eyes of people by one of the Umars. Meaning either Umar bin Khattab, who was, his name was obviously Umar, and then you had Amr bin Hisham. So it's a, kind of like a play on words there. Okay? So you have Umar ibn Khattab, as a result of that dua, he converts to Islam. Everyone thought that the Prophet ﷺ was so like, strange for praying for the conversion of who? Of Umar. But look what ends up happening, subhanAllah. He ends up accepting Islam and becoming like the strength for the Muslims in Mecca by his conversion. But, but the Prophet ﷺ did not go to Umar and beg him. He didn't say, please, Umar, convert. If you convert, I promise you, it'll be Abu Bakr and then you. Number three is not bad. And number two is not bad, right? Like, he didn't say that. He didn't make him any promises. He just asked Allah to open his heart. And Allah did. And then when Umar converted as a result of Allah opening his heart, subhanAllah, he became like the strong backbone of the community. You know, they were still, it's, it's an amazing story. They were praying in, in, in private because they didn't want to pray in public and get harassed. But Umar was primarily one of the ones who was doing the harassing. So after he converted, he goes to the Prophet and says, Ya Rasulullah, we should go out there and pray. We should go out there and pray. And the Prophet is like, slow down. Right? It's, it's a little bit too fast, right? And Umar, his, his, his energy, his strength, his fervor, his love, Allah placed it in his heart. How could you go from wanting to kill the Prophet to wanting to do this? How is that possible? Only Allah can do that. And so he says, Ya Rasulullah, Let's go. Line up behind me and line up behind Hamza عن, and let's go. We're going to go pray in front of the Kaaba. And no one's going to stop us because who's going to stop me and him? And they go out there as the Muslims, a small group, people generally weak, generally harassed, generally tortured. They go and they perform prayer out in the courtyard of the Haram and in the Kaaba for the first time without having any fear. But they didn't attribute the, the lack of fear to Omar. They attributed it to what? Allah. Allah is the one who gave them Omar. So in trial, 
When you're disappointed by somebody, how many of you have ever been disappointed before by somebody? Okay. When you are disappointed by somebody, think for a moment, not about them, but about you. Why did you let yourself get disappointed? You come to understand this. Okay. So he says, and Allah Ta'ala makes reference to this in this ayah. When you are tested by something, you call upon Allah first and foremost. And then he says, that you understand that everything is truly, it belongs to Allah and everything in his kingdom is his servant Azza wa Jal. And no matter what people think, everyone ultimately is rushing back to and returning back to Allah's system, his design, his plan. Nobody can escape it. Nobody can escape Allah Ta'ala's plan. You know, this is why as believers, when we're tested, we always remain in a state of tranquility. We try to remain as close to, uh, you know, uh, equilibrium as possible. Because we don't want our emotions to challenge the plan of Allah. Like if you're, if you're running late for a flight, you should obviously make sure that you try your best to make it. But if you miss it, don't, don't, don't think that that's the end of the world. And this happens a lot. The more you open your eyes, the more you'll understand the plan of Allah was ultimately what? What was best for you? Whatever you wanted actually wasn't that good for you. And whatever Allah had planned for you, you didn't even see it on your radar until you lost that opportunity. But now you get the op new opportunity. You think it's a consolation prize. After all is said and done, you say, Alhamdulillah. And I've seen this in every stage. I've seen this with people buying stuff, getting jobs, I've seen people getting married. That's kind of awkward. But so so happy I didn't marry her. I'm like, okay, uh, let's. Your wife's right here. Let's talk about something else, right? Like, but to be fair, people have these moments with big moments in their life, big decisions in their life. And so he says, people realize that they are all going back to Allah's decisions, His arrangements, and His destiny. You know what this means? Subhanallah. He says three things: hukmihi, wa tadbirihi, wa qadaihi. Qadaihi wa tadbirihi. It means we have to submit in three ways. Number one, submit to the moment. Submit to what's happening. Understand that there is, Allah is here. Allah is not blind, nor is he unaware of what is happening. It's hard. It's hard. The next step, submit to exactly like the plan. Like when is it happening? How is it happening? Right? So submit to it. So this is happening to me. It's happening to me right now. Okay, I got a flat tire on the way to work. You submit to it. Oh Allah, I know that this flat tire was your decree. And I know that this flat tire, because what's the first thing we say when something bad happens? Why now? Couldn't it have happened later? Couldn't it have happened on the way here, on the way there? Why now? Why now? Right now? So we're challenging not only what happened, but when it happened. And then he says, what? And the, the strategic details of exactly what is happening and how that's affecting your whole life. We have to understand that we are submitting to Allah in every single way. That is why the dua that we make is what? Oh Allah, do not make me in charge of my own life, even for the blink of what? An eye. I don't want to be in charge. Because the idea of being in charge is like a false sense of autonomy. Okay? Let me give you guys one little thing that makes this easier to process. And everyone here is kind of like, 
I'm with you, kind of. Let me tell you something. Everybody in this room, whether it's concretely or conceptually, has the notion and has the desire and has the appreciation of what we call free will, right? You love the ability to be able to do what you want. Is that true, yes or no? Yes, okay. Now, unfortunately, free will comes with two sides. Agency, right? I don't like calling it free will because obviously we're part of a system, but agency, the ability to choose. You can choose what you do after this. You can choose to go to Dave's, which probably most will. You can choose to go home. You can choose to sleep. You can choose. You can choose. It's all your choice. Okay? Now, here's the good part, is that good choices are good. They help you. They benefit you in this life and the next. They make you feel better. They give you a sense of happiness. These are all from good choices. Okay? But the bad part is, and the challenge is, that not everyone makes good choices. Not everyone is upright. Not everyone's honest. Not everyone's virtuous. And some people will use their gift of agency, of free will, to make the wrong choices. When we see those people make those wrong choices, we get upset. Why would Allah allow this? Oh, 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 hold on, hold on. Never blame Allah for people's bad choices. Right? Because he gave us all the ability to choose. And that's what we wanted. That's what we want. We want the ability to do what we want to do. So now you can't get mad at Allah. I'll give you an example. People see home insecurity. People who don't have any place to live, drive under a bridge, drive past a highway, any major city. No one, these people that have no one to put them in a place with a roof over their head. Is that Allah's fault? Now some people might say, yeah. Why would Allah do this? Why would Allah allow this? Is there enough earth on this earth? Is there enough space for everyone to have a room with a bed and a faucet and a bathroom. Is there? I'm not trying to sound too socialist, but is there? There is. Okay, very good. People don't have food to eat. Is there enough food on this earth to feed everybody? So who's really causing the problems then? Well, you, capitalism, sure. <laughs> but who's really causing the problems? Go even more minute than that. We are. We are. But the nafs and shaitan play this trick on you. You look at something that's tragic and your heart knows it's tragic and your heart feels pain. Your heart is upset. And you say, and you, after, you can only hold so much. And you, the pressure builds and you say, how? Why would God let this happen? And Allah looks at you and says, why are you letting this happen? I gave you the free will. I gave you the risk. I gave you, I gave you, I gave you the ability to speak. Why are you letting this happen? That's the test. So we cannot let our nafs trick us into falling into this audacious plan of blaming God for the mistakes that human beings make. Because Allah surely gave us more than we need to be able to provide for not only ourselves, but everybody here. The problem is not what Allah gave or didn't give. The problem is us. And that is why we are not told to change the world. We are told to do what? To change our contribution to it. Zakat, sadaqa, right? Speaking truth. These are all the mechanisms Allah gave us. If you see someone who's impoverished because of the situation that they are put in by another person, go with your money and help them, right? Go and give your money to them. If you see someone who's being oppressed and they don't have a voice, go and speak for them. 
Change it with your hand. And if you can't, speak out. And if you are held back from even saying something, then never lose that recognition in your heart that it's wrong. Allah did not create this world as a punishment, but He gave people the ability to make it a blessing or a burden. And this is what we're witnessing. The battle between good and evil is our misuse of the resource Allah gave us. May Allah Ta'ala make us just. So, and, the, and the horror is that we don't want Muslims who know Allah and who know His Messenger to ever be on the oppressive end of that. Right? We see, for example, all the horrors happening in Palestine, and then we see a country not too far away is shipping out Muslims, refugees, in the millions, giving them five days to pack their stuff and leave. This is a Muslim-on-Muslim Muslim crime. We're upset. We're frustrated. We're begging and crying. Every weekend we march and protest. We're making dua. We're donating. And then we turn around and it's our, it's our own brothers. It's our own sisters doing this in a country to their own brothers and their own sisters. Ajeeb. Ajeeb. So while there is oppression happening externally and we have to push back, we also need to have a deep look in the mirror at what kind of oppression that we might be part and parcel of. May Allah Ta'ala protect us from being oppressors. Okay, we got a little bit more. Now, this brokenness, right? So we understand this humility that Allah is, is, is imposing upon us. It describes us. And he says at the end of it, he says, La mafarra lahum minhu wala mahida lahum anhu. That ultimately these tests and trials, you cannot run away from them. You cannot hide yourself from them. They will afflict every single person in some way, shape, or form. Then he says, But there is no one that can help you with the trial than the one that gave it to you. He is the solution for the problem you have. The teacher who handed you the test also knows the answers. And that's the reality. So he says, and he quotes, وَإِنْ يَمْسَسْقَ اللَّهُ بِدُرٍ فَلَا كَاشِفَ إِلَّا هُو And when Allah touches you with a trial, there is nobody that can remove that trial from your life except for Him. And so never ever forget this. And Ibn Ata'illah, he actually has a beautiful line that I'll share with you when he reflects this. He says, لِيُخَفِّثَ أَلَمَ الْبَلَاءِ or لِيُخَفِّثَ أَلَمَ الْبَلَاءِ عَلَيْكَ so that you could feel lightness about the trial that you're experiencing, he says, Allah gave you the knowledge that He's the one that is testing you. See, Allah didn't have to tell you that, by the way. A lot of people develop resentment towards God in part because He said that He tests us. But He could have hidden that. He could have said, like, maybe it's shaitan. I don't know. Like, He could have hidden it from us and we would have been like, none the why. But Allah told us that what? People think they're never going to be tested. So Allah told us this. Now Ibn Atta'illah says, instead of getting upset, instead of letting that cause you crisis of faith, make you resent Allah, realize the silver lining there. If you have to be tested, if tests are a part of your life, wouldn't you rather it be someone that loves you and is merciful for you? Like if someone's going to test you, if all of your teachers are going to give you exams, don't you want it to be your favorite teacher as well? It's a big difference when people yell at my kid versus me yelling at my kid. When a stranger yells at my kid, first of all, okay. When a stranger yells at my kid, the fear 
on a child who's being reprimanded by a stranger is very different than when they are being reprimanded by their own parents. Why? Because the parents and the family and the grandparents and even the teacher at school has the capital of love. This kid knows that my mom and dad is making me cry, but behind these tears in my heart, in my mind, I know that they love me. So whatever they do, there's always a context. But if it's a stranger, if it's a random person, the fear is petrifying. So Ibn Atta'illah says, لِيُخَفِّفْ أَلَمَ الْبَلَاءِ So that you could understand this trial lightly, he says, عَلَيْكَ عِلْمُكَ بِأَنَّهُ سُبْحَانَهُ لَكَ He's the one who tested you. And then he says, فَالَّذِي وَاجْتَهَكَ مِنْهُ الْأَقْدَارُ هُوَ الَّذِي عَوَّدَكَ حُسْنَ الْإِخْدِيَارِ He says that, and for the one who puts the decree of trial in your path, like you're walking in life and then all of a sudden there's a trial in your path, he says, he also made you realize that this is the same one who gave you the blessing in your path just yesterday. So yesterday you were walking and something good happened. You said, alhamdulillah. Today you're walking, something bad happened. You say what? Alhamdulillah. It's the same one. It's the same one. He continues and he says, this one's pretty deep. So we'll, we'll end here with this one, inshallah. <laughs> He's like, thank you. <laughs> this guy just comes and yells at me on Monday every night for an hour. Okay? So I'll share with you from the book a little bit that I wrote. I said, this brokenness and status of servitude is recognized within us as well as around us and is ultimately is the effect of being given free will or choice. We see that some choices are beautiful. We love the choices that people make and some choices are ugly. This recognition of humility helps you spiritually contextualize everything. Your humility is not meant to make you feel worse about yourself. It's meant to make you feel confident about Allah. When I know who I am and who Allah is, my humility makes me confident in Allah. Allahu Akbar. He is the greatest. I am not the greatest. He is. My humility makes me feel confident in Him. And then Ibn Atta'illah, he ends with this. And I'll finish with a story that I think is amazing. Ibn Atta'illah, he says, لا تستغرب لا تستغرب وقوع الأذكار ما دمت في هذه الدار He said, as long as you live in this abode, في هذه الدار, in this dunya, he said, don't be surprised. لا تستغرب Don't be like, ah, غريب, ah, that's interesting, right? وقوع الأكدار Don't be surprised at the, the sorrows of this world. As long as you're here, realize that this is part and parcel of it. And he says what? He says, فَإِنَّهَا مَا أَبْرَزَتْ إِلَّا مَا هُوَ مُسْتَحِقٌ وَصْفِهَا وَوَاجِبُ نَعْتِهَا He says that this world can only be what it is. Its descriptions will become manifest. Allah Ta'ala said this dunya is not meant to be a perfect place. It's meant to be a place that has points of goodness and points of trial. It has whole moments and broken moments. This is what it is. It's like being mad at a dog for barking. It, it, it's doing what it's doing, right? So there's a story that I'll share with you that I think is amazing. When you're able to master these points that Ibn Atta'illah shares, your entire mindset changes. This story actually takes place in the life of the Prophet ﷺ. There was a young girl, uh, who not young girl, but there was a, a, a young woman who used to be a servant for a certain tribe. And this tribe, they were, not, uh, they were not Muslim. 
but she was one of their servants, okay? Now, one of the daughters of this tribe had a beautiful red, uh, what's the word? Like, I was going to say handkerchief, but it's not like a vibe. She had a beautiful red, like, cloth necklace. How about that? Okay. What's that? A scarf. There you go. Thank you, right? You study more Arabic, you lose your English, right? It's a problem of all the Arabic students. So she had a beautiful cloth necklace known as a scarf. <laughs> okay, and it was red and it had jewels on it. And it was like people, you know, it was something that the narration says was very valuable. So she loses it. How does she lose it? She left it outside and this bird came and confused it for some meat and picked it up and flew away with it. Now the servant girl saw this. She saw all this happen. And as with people of power, right, she's the servant of the tribe. When they were looking for it and they couldn't find it, who did they blame? They blamed the servant girl. Said, you must have stolen it, right? And this is one of the diseases of power is that power always finds the weakest person to pick on. Subhanallah. So look at this, though. They took this girl and they basically tied her up and they searched all of her belongings. They searched her. They searched her body, everything. Humiliating. Humiliating, right? Until, subhanAllah, at the very moment they had just humiliated her and cursed her and made her feel horrible about herself, who comes back? The bird. And the bird comes and drops the scarf right at her feet and then flies away. Okay? The tribe feels so... <laughs> the tribe feels so... Like, they feel so, like, basically ashamed that... They finalize her. They, they 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 finalize her contract, and they say you're free to go. You're free. To, we, like we're not going to subject you to this anymore. You're free to go. She goes. Subhanallah. She's not Muslim. She goes and she finds her way to Medina. She meets the Prophet Sallallahu and she takes shahada. She accepts Islam. She lives in a small house that is next to the masjid. And every now and then, Sayyid Aisha radiAllahu anha, of course, who also lived next to the masjid, she would hear her recite this line of poetry. So the servant girl, who had, was her neighbor basically, would always recite this line of poetry. She would say, وَيَوْمَ الْوِشَاحِ مِنْ عَجِيبِ رَبِّنَا أَلَا إِنَّهُ مِنْ بَلَدِتِ الْكُفْرِ أَنْجَانِي She said that the day of the scarf was the day of amazement. It was the day that my Lord saved me from the land of the disbelievers. Okay, now, now here's, this is why I think this story is so incredible. This story is in one of the chapters of my books. The book, the chapter is called Al-Farhu uh, Al-Musibah. The celebration when a person is afflicted with a trial. And it uses this story because Aisha, she would hear her recite this poetry over and over again. She would just, you know, be like doing her thing, cleaning, whatever. She'd be like humming it to herself. So Aisha radiallahu anha, who was also a linguist, by the way, she said, what are you saying? So she, oh, and she said, this is this line that I say. Aisha goes, tell me the story behind it. She tells her the whole story. And then at the end of it, she tells Aisha radiallahu anha, isn't it so amazing that the same Lord who caused the bird to get me in trouble was the same Lord who brought the, commanded the bird to come back and save me? That bird didn't have to come back. That bird was commanded by Allah. But we submit to the plan, to the when, and to the how. In that moment, she was ridiculed and humiliated. She was hurt. She was abused by the people that accused her of theft. 
And in that society, stealing something, especially from somebody that you work for, that you're a servant, it could cause, it could lead you to be punished, even killed. And in that very moment when it was getting the worst, the most horrific, the, it, she was describing it. It was embarrassing how they were treating her. She said, Allah Ta'ala sends this bird back. What lessons do we take from that? SubhanAllah. Allah Ta'ala is in control. This bird, Allah Ta'ala did not send it a moment earlier or a moment later. Maybe in that moment, Allah knows best. We don't know in the hadith, but Allah knows best. Maybe that moment when she was at the peak of her trial, the peak of her tribulation, was when her heart called out to Allah. The most sincere. Maybe she thought she could convince them. I've been working for you for so long. You know me. Trust me. Da, da, right? But she realized what? People are broken. They're not it. You can't convince people. And so instead of depending on them to be your savior, maybe her heart in that moment said, Ya Rabbi, you're the only one left. There's no one else that can help me. This story teaches us the value of recognizing our relationship with Allah. She then writes this poem and says, that was the day my Lord saved me. She doesn't even mention that Allah Ta'ala tested her. What a day, the day of the red scarf. What an amazing day when he saved me from the people in the land of Kufr that were testing me. May Allah Ta'ala allow us the opportunity to only call upon him and to know him. May Allah Ta'ala allow us to recognize in our humility his greatness. May Allah Ta'ala give us the ability to only rely upon him. And as we know him and as we understand him, may Allah Ta'ala allow us to experience all of these trials with lightness because we know it's coming from him. May Allah Ta'ala give the people who are being bombed and killed, may he give them Jannah with no hisab. May Allah Ta'ala grant them paradise before their bodies even touch the ground. May Allah Ta'ala make their withdrawal from this life easy and smooth. May Allah Ta'ala make those who have to move on without them full of relief and tranquility knowing that they are shuhada. May Allah Ta'ala grant ease and relief to any Muslim who's being oppressed. Whether it is in Palestine, whether it is in Afghanistan, whether it is in Sudan, whether it is in Somalia or the Congo, whether it is in the Rohingya. Oh Allah, we ask you and you alone, oh Allah. Oh Allah, we ask you and you alone. The leaders, the politicians, the advocacy groups, oh Allah, all of them are only your tools, oh Allah. We ask you, oh Allah, to use these individuals for khair, ya Allah. We ask you, O oh Allah, by your permission and your strength to use these people, Ya Allah. They are not operating outside of your will. They are not operating outside of your power, O oh Allah. So use them to bring goodness and to bring relief and to bring peace back to the brothers and sisters who have been afflicted, Ya Allah, Ya Rahman Rahimin. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik. Nashadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk.